22, verses 6 through 8. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. There's a lot of stuff going on in the Middle East at the moment, if you haven't noticed, uh, between Israel and the Palestinians and in Palestine or however you want to call it. You, you know, you've been watching, you've been hearing, there's a lot of stuff happening at the moment. And it's a really difficult process to decipher the endless stream of information coming our way. What's true? What's false? What's right? What's wrong? And as Christians, we, we certainly have a definite and understandable affinity to that part of the world for obvious reasons. We understand the Jewish people's connection to the land did not start in 1948. We know that most of the 66 books of the Holy Scriptures, the Old and New Testament characters, people, events, and stories happen there. These stories, as we read them and understand them, they happened in, for the most part, that place. And that place in that land called Israel or Palestine, now at war. And for, for the Christian, it's where Christ, a, a Jew, lived, died. We've just sung about it. We've just declared it. We've just... Thank God for it. And so for the Christian, it is where Christ, a Jew, lived, died, rose, and according to the Scriptures will come again. On the Mount of Olives, just outside Jerusalem, to that place he will return. In Acts chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, it says, And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He will come again. Okay. He will come again. <laughs> Thank you. He will come again. We're, we're, uh, we're told... I mean, we're told to remember this, right? We're told that many times we, we take communion, we utter the words of the Apostle Paul, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Revelation 1, verses 7 through 8, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. To Jerusalem, Jesus will return. And so as Christians, our past, present, and future connects us to that land. It connects us to the Jewish people in a way that we can't ignore. Our faith itself comes not from the American West, but from the promise to Abraham. From a small piece of land in the Middle East, 
From there, it has influenced billions and reached us here at the ends of the earth. And so people keep asking me, Pastor, what do you think? What do you think about the war? What do you think about Israel's response to the attack? Is, is it appropriate? People ask, you know, is Israel an apartheid state? Is it a colonizer? What about, what about the occupied territories? Why, why don't they just make a peace deal? And what about the two-state solution? And, and clearly every day that passes, this war is turning into a catastrophic humanitarian crisis with hundreds of thousands of innocent men, women, and children caught in the middle on both the Israeli and the Palestinian side. And to be honest, as people are asking me these questions, I'm, I'm like, I, I really don't want to talk about this. But people are like, Pastor, I, I need help getting my, my head around all this. It's all, all so confusing. And because clearly every pastor needs to be an expert on Middle East affairs, which of course I am not. But what I want to do this morning is in the hope that I can bring some perspective, or at least my perspective, let me share some things that hopefully will help give some clarity to the seeming chaos. And so I've called it my, my perspective on Palestine, its politics, and peace. And this is my in-depth analysis. From the safety and comfort of my armchair, thousands of miles away. As many of you know, and I've just said it, just talked about it, we lived for many years in India as missionaries there. We, we made our home in the great city of Pune, and upon moving there from Mumbai, it was very clear that there was a large population of young Palestinian men there, thousands of them, in fact. Pune, the city, was very famous for its universities. It was known and still actually is called the Oxford of the East because of the number of universities that it had there. The Palestinian young men on their motorcycles were were easily distinguishable with the Palestinian uh, kufia, the, which is the, the checkered black and white scarf that is usually worn around the neck or head, and you see many people wearing that in protests and things that are happening around the world today. And they would have certain places that they would hang out, restaurants, coffee bars, and they would congregate in large, large numbers. In my 11 years there, I got to know a small number of Palestinian Muslims. And I had the privilege of leading one of those Palestinian Muslims to Christ. He would come to our house and we would speak for hours about the Bible and talk about Jesus and who Jesus was. And eventually he came to a place where he told me, and I have shared this story before he said, Adam, I believe, see, Muslims do not believe that Jesus died on the cross. He came and said, my father told me that it was Jesus who died on the cross. And I'm telling you here today, Adam, I believe that. I prayed for him. He got zapped by the Holy Ghost. He, he couldn't move. It was kind of awkward because he just got zapped. His glasses fell off. They were sitting, <laughs> sitting like this, and he was, just, he was just out. 
And God touched and changed his life on that day. Soon after that, his mother called him to come home. He was from Kuwait. She said it's not safe in India. And some problems had developed in the universities. There was some corruption and uh, some of the results of the exams were now no longer held in the esteem that they should have had. So they didn't have the same meetings, meaning. So Palestinians were, were returning to their homes, as were many others from Africa and different other nations that were also there. So his mother called him home and said, look, it's not safe for you to be in India. And so he returned home. And sadly, a few weeks later, Saddam Hussein from neighboring Iraq invaded Kuwait. War broke out, and on his return, he said, the things I've seen, you will not believe. And the brutality for them came not necessarily from Iraq, but from the Kuwaitis themselves, because they had backed Saddam, the Palestinians had backed Saddam Hussein as he went in. And so as they were cleared out, the wrath of the people came upon them. And he's like, you will not believe. And he told me some of those things I'm not going to describe them today. Now, we lost contact. This is the days before email even. You know, when you used to write letters, anybody remember letters? It's just that, that kind of day. You know, faxes were the modern modern thing. You had a fax machine. and So this is the day before, before email and all Facebook and Instagram. It was not so easy to keep in touch. And I share this simply to say, yes, he was Palestinian, but more than that, he was a normal young man. He was a human being. And we should not forget that in all this crisis and all this craziness. He was a human being. And like other young men everywhere, he had hopes and dreams of a better life. And I pray he found it. When he would greet you, he would say to me, Salam alaikum. And I would say to him, alaikum salam. Which means peace be upon you. We were friends. In 2019, I went to Israel. And we got to meet many beautiful Israelis. I found the people there, including the soldiers, to be very friendly, open, and welcoming. We made friends in that place. When they greet you, they say, Shalom. Or in a more formal way, Shalom Alekim. Which means, peace be upon you. You would reply, Alekim, Shalom. How close are those greetings? Shalom and Salam. Both meaning peace. Yet peace sadly, seemed so hard to find. So difficult and distant for those born, the descendants of Isaac and Ishmael. The sons, the Bible tells us, of our father Abraham. One born of faith, one born of the flesh, but sons nevertheless. And so since our time in Israel, I, I regularly get updates from many people who we met when we were there. Certainly since the war began, many more updates have, have come. Ministries we, we support have asked for help, and we did send help this week to Jews for Jesus. I got saved I, through, through that ministry. They shared here a little bit, but 
little while ago through the, through the Passover and walked us through that. We got saved. We've been supporting them for years. And they asked for critical help for su- supplies. And also they asked us to pray. And could you pray for us? Many of their staff who are Israeli reservists are now on the front lines of Lebanon protecting the nation from Hezbollah. They've been called up. And so these people from that ministry are now there on the border of Lebanon. They asked, could we pray? And so we do. In Jesus' name, we pray for their protection. And some people we met there and know, their lives today have changed. I don't know whether you're aware, but 100,000 people have, in Israel have had to leave their homes. 100,000. Just up and leave their homes. Go, go south. Get, a, get away. They don't know if they're going to have a home to go back to. Some have lost people close to them. In fact, almost, I would say, almost every Israeli citizen will know somebody who got caught up in the October 7th attack. Their lives have changed. Some have lost people close to them. Their daily life is now constantly having to take cover in bomb shelters and safe rooms. Yes, they build safe rooms into their houses for protection. We don't do that. We don't, where's the safe room? We don't go. You're going to do an open home this week. You don't look for the safe room. So again, just from the comfort of our armchairs, we have to be so, so careful. As missiles are regularly fired into their cities, literally thousands of them have been fired every day from October 7th. And of course, Ian and Helen, they have been there in that, in that very situation where you, when you were there just a, a little while back where missiles were fired, rockets fired over you and exploded and just crazy. Pretty scary they shared last week in, in Tawa what that was like what it was like to live under the, that is going on. Helen, of course, didn't hear it. First, she had her earphones in. Always can't, got to hear, take your earphones out when the rockets are being fired, please, Helen. <laughs> but it's scary. And so scrolling, scrolling on our phone from our armchair here, we can't possibly truly understand what it's like to be on the ground there. The massacre of Israeli citizens on October 7th was unprecedented in its brutality, barbaric, and I would even say demonic. The biggest loss of Jewish life in a day since the Holocaust. They kidnapped, tortured, and torched. And much worse, all while live streaming. The scale per capita of head Per head of population, if you work it out, if you remember 9-11, and sadly for, well, not sadly, I guess, ignorance is blessed. Many young people today don't even remember. They weren't even born when 9-11 happened. And so they have no context of that. No, no thing. But, but, but I remember, I remember that day, the planes, watching the planes going in. 3,000 people died on that day. But if you look at this from a level of per head of population, what this would be like, what, if this was Israel's 9-11, this is the equivalent, equivalent of 15 9-11s in one day. 
So you've got to understand what they are dealing with and why they feel so strongly on these things. Everyone in Israel knows someone caught up in this. So Israel's response was quick and strong. And, and they like, we're like, we've got to defend our, we've got to defend ourselves. That is understandable. They declared war on Hamas, the primary perpetrators of the terror attack. And as the war, and as war progresses, and as war always does, there is carnage, misery, and death follow. And sadly, in the days to come, many more innocent Palestinians and Israeli men, women, and children are sadly and inevitably going to get caught up in the fight. Lives, not only homes, will be destroyed. Loved ones lost. Creating what? Creating more heartache everywhere. More anger everywhere. This is so tragic and so sad. And the death and destruction in Gaza will, it seems, get much worse before it gets better. Hamas continues to launch its rockets using its civilians as human shields as well as Israeli hostages. People say, well, I don't know if I... This is well documented. Israel, as people say, Israel uses missiles to protect its people. Hamas uses people to protect its missiles. There are no winners here, only death. And this is all tragic. Tragic for the Palestinians, tragic for Israel. But what should Israel do? I've been thinking about this deeply. I've been, really, I've just been thinking about this deeply. Some say, well, well, a ceasefire, start peace talks immediately. They should just stop. Others are like, don't, we shouldn't take sides or, you know, or I, I feel for the Israelis and I feel for the Palestinians. But can I just say, our feelings and neutrality fix nothing, solve nothing, except maybe make our conscience feel a little better. And through all this, I started to think, what would I do? What, what would I do if this had happened to us? And having been in Israel and spent a bit of time in Israel, and there are people here who have even lived in Israel, you understand how close everything is. You understand how small Israel is and how, 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 how close everything is. I started to think, well, what would, what would I do? What would I do? And I, I was talking to someone, they're like, well, what's it like? Why can't they just stop? And I, I said, imagine if it would be like this, just to give... Context, imagine, imagine if the Otahanga River was a border and the people of Waikanae, because that's the kind of distances we're, we're talking about. And the people of Waikanae, they wanted you dead. The people of Waikanae fire deadly, and we, I don't think this is going to actually happen. <laughs> it would be a struggle. The people of Waikanae fire five thousand deadly rockets it's close i mean you can you can see how close this is it's just like it's just, they're firing those rockets over to you and not only that you'd built a wall they used to be able to cross and now you've built a wall to 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 stop 
them get because they want to get across and they want to kill you. They want you dead. But on that day, 3,000 snuck across the Otahanga River. There's a wall, but they broke it. They broke through. And, and, and as they crossed, they murder, torture, kidnap anyone they can find, including some of my friends, my family, my relatives. What would I do? What would be appropriate? You know, as Christians, do I, do, do I, do I turn the other cheek? How, how, I mean, how do I love my neighbor in a situation like that? How, how do I even love my enemy in a situation? How do I even apply that in this situation? Am I even meant to? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Israel will say, we are making peace. We are done with peacekeeping. What would I, what would I do? And as a Christian... You'd be fighting for your life. And I got some insight as I was thinking about, well, as, as Christians, we, what we, we do, and I got some insight to this through a video, a, a Messianic Jewish pastor who, who we met and spent time with over in Israel and just talking about their ministry and their church and what they were, were doing. He sent a video this week saying, please pray. Please pray, the rockets are raining down on our congregation, on our church, on our people. And he tells the story of a family in his church who, who like their faithful servants, just, just like many of you here, faithful servants of the Lord, passionate about evangelism, passionate about reaching, reaching the lost. A very, one of his most dedicated families in the life of the faithful families in the life of his church. And he says their son, who was part of the church, was killed on October 7th. On that day, he was one of 12 IDF soldiers on the border crossing as around 400 Hamas militants launched a surprise attack seeking to make their way into Israel to kill and slaughter civilians. What did he do? As a young Christian Jewish man, he and the other soldiers knew if these terrorists get through, many more people will die. And so he fought. The 12 fought. He was on a machine gun and he fought and held them off with that gun for up to 10 hours. Wounded along the way. Eventually he succumbed. He was shot in the neck and succumbed to his, his injuries. And they showed the, his funeral. This guy, his, his actions saved many lives. This young Messianic Jewish Christian gave his life to save others. In fact, he paid the ultimate price. And Jesus said in John chapter 4, 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. They're fighting for their life. So let me talk us a little about peace and the land's politics. As people in the West are demanding an immediate ceasefire and, and, and to start the peace talks, the, the, the truth is Hamas does not want peace. Hamas's goal is clear, the absolute elimination and obliteration of Israel and the Jewish people. Benjamin Netanyahu once said, if the Arabs put down their weapons today, there would be no more violence. If the Jews put down their weapons today, 
there would be no more Israel. The Hamas Charter makes it clear. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. That is the Hamas Charter. That is the stated goal of Hamas. There's a great book I was handed many years ago, I think, Peter, you, you gave it to me, called The Son of Hamas. It's by a guy named Masab Hussein Yusuf. He grew up, his father was the founder of Hamas. And he is on the news, you can YouTube him, don't YouTube him now, that would be rude. <laughs> but you can YouTube him, he's on the news, They're, all the news networks are calling him, calling him now to speak to this, because he has the inside understanding of this. And he said, here's what you have to understand. He's like, I grew up in this. I was a part of this. I, I was being groomed to, 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 to take over this. And, and he, he said, you've got to understand, Hamas is not a national organization. It's a religious organization. It's not a national movement. It's a religious movement. And it is calling for Sharia, for, for the Islamic rule, to be not just in Palestine, but across the whole earth. That is their ultimate and stated goal. It's not a national movement, he said. It's a religious one. They desire to set up a caliphate, Islamic rule, not just in Palestine, but all over the world. He said, I left because I, as I watched them, I could see they did not care about the Palestinian people. They hurt their own people, and I could not put up with it anymore. And even though he had to leave his family, he left. Hamas is not interested in a two-state solution. There's a catch cry, activists rally around, maybe you've heard it on the news late, lately, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. What does that mean? It means from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, the entire land of Israel will be free of the Jews. And that's what they're shouting. That's what they're crying out for, for a one Palestinian state. And so when people shout, free Palestine, they are not crying for a two-state solution, but a state free of Jews. But the question is, where should the Jews go? English have an England. Germans have a Germany. Indian, well, Indians have an India. Italy well, they have the Italians. Mexicans have a Mexico. Where should they go? Where should they go? After all, historically, this is their homeland. It's kind of undeniable, right? Biblically, it doesn't mean others have, haven't lived there as, as well. In fact, we know they have. Maybe the keyboards can come up. Oh, that's probably not the... Probably that good for keyboards. But the keyboard person can come up, otherwise I'm... We're going to go with the flow on this one. <laughs> so after all, this historically is their homeland. It's kind of undeniable, biblically. It doesn't mean others haven't lived there. In fact, we know they, they have. So they are not colonizers. Such a claim is absurd. 
They're merely returning to their homeland from which they were exiled, the land of Canaan, Judea and Israel, the home of the 12 tribes. This is the promised land given to Abraham, spoken of in Genesis in the book of beginnings some 4,000 years ago. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations, and I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you, to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And of course, over the millennia, this little desert Land and its people of the promise have been invaded by empire after empire and the Jewish people scattered throughout the earth. History doesn't conveniently start at 1948. Exiled among the nations for centuries, the Jews have lived and sadly died in their millions, led like lambs to the slaughter. Some six million men, women and children in the Holocaust just 83 years Ago, oh how short our family in front of the Sydney Opera House. I watched on the news as a large group of people celebrated the massacre on October 7th by yelling, Gas the Jews, gas the Jews! Shouting over and over and over with glee. I'm not okay with that. But not all Palestinians, not all Palestinians, people say, are Hamas. And I get that. And not all Germans were Nazis, but the Nazis had control. And I've learned among those who were massacred on October 7th that there were many peace activists, people who had worked tirelessly for the years trying to build unity and peace between the Palestinians. However, that did not help them on the day when confronted with Hamas terrorists. People say, well, what about Israel is strong? Palestine is weak. Friend, this is not about strong versus weak. This is about good versus evil. Right versus wrong. The Gaza border with Egypt is not open. Even though the vast empty land of Sinai lies just on the other side of the border. You should Google Earth it. It's amazing. There's nothing there. Why? It's simple. They're saying, the Arab states, we just want to keep them in there so they can fight for their land. No, it's not. They won't open because they understand who Hamas is. Hamas comes from the Muslim Brotherhood who tried to seek to rule Egypt and the Egyptian government. They understand exactly who they are dealing with. Terrorists. And they won't let them in. What if the 14 Arab states have offered to take refugees? None. The Abrahamic promise rests deep. That's what you've got to understand. The Abraham promise rests deep in the heart of the Israeli psyche. And it helps to understand why their response to the attack has been so massive. There is a saying, and I'm nearly done, I'm nearly done, I know this is going over, over time, but I'm doing it once and then it's, it's, it's gone. I need to get this out of my system and I've worked hard to get this. 
So I, I, I've, you know, I've had to wrestle with this. It's not, it isn't an easy message to just drop. There's a saying on the lips of the Jew standing on the battle lines. Two words. Never again. Never again. And what it means, never again will they allow themselves to be led to the slaughter. Never again will they allow themselves to be gathered, crushed, and dehumanized, expelled from their promised land. Never again. This comes from a passage in the Old Testament from the prophet Amos. The Lord spoke and declared, I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from their land. I have given them, says the Lord your God. Why is Israel fighting like they've never fought before? Never again. Someone said this, I don't know who... But they said Israel does not exist because the Holocaust happened. The Holocaust happened because Israel did not exist. Never again. An Arab academic, Dr. Tawfiq Hamid, a Muslim reformer, a former militant, he said this. He said, all this is not about land. I don't know when it was recorded. I don't think it could be an old recording. But he said this. All this fighting is not about land but it's about the Jewish people's very right to exist. He said, I asked my Muslim colleagues, if this is in academia, if, if, if tomorrow all the Jews converted to Islam, would there be a problem? They said, no. So he said, it's not, a, it's not about the land, it's about the Jews. Their right to exist at all. Is Israel perfect? No. Have there been wrongs and injustices? Yes. Have there been land grabs and, and wrongs done to the Palestinians? Absolutely. Is racism, racism and discrimination uh, uh, in Israel? Absolutely. Have mistakes been made? I'm sure. Is there room for improvement? Always. It's a nation full of people from many nations, exile from Africa, Russia, Europe. And there are, there, there are clashes. Even it is difficult for some Christians to live in Israel. Like any nation, just like New Zealand, it has problems. New Zealand has problems. But with all its problems, it's the only free democracy in the Middle East. In Israel, you can actually protest against the government, even protest against the war. You can be LGBTQ, try that in Gaza. Friends, you've got to understand, Arabs make up 21% of Israel's population. That's 2.1 million people. And the rockets were fired at their families too. Standing on Israel's border, the IDF, Israel Defense Force, prepare, prepares to protect the freedom and their right to exist. But standing there are not just Jews, but Christians, Muslims, Jews, and Arabs, Bedouins, and Druze, D-R-U-Z-E, and believe it or not, Palestinians. An estimated 3,000 Palestinian citizens of Israel currently volunteer. They don't have to. They volunteer to serve in the Israeli military to protect their country and their Israeli families. And so when surrounded by nations that desire your destruction and obliteration, who cry this to Israel as they cry in Iran, they say never again. In closing, I said, finally, 
I said, there's a great book called Son of Hamas by Mossad, Hussein Yusuf. He actually was arrested because he was part of Hamas. He was arrested by Israel. Can't remember if he was in Gaza or the West Bank. But he spent 27 months in an Israeli jail and he eventually found the love of Christ. And this Muslim found Jesus. His life changed. And at the end of the day, the Palestinians need Jesus. The Jews need Jesus. We all need Jesus. For in him there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither Jew nor Palestinian, neither slave nor free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Shalom. Shalom. Peace. Only he can give peace. Only he can give true peace. What can we do? We can do what we've been doing. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray that this does not escalate, that it does not expand, that other nations don't join. Could this be World War Three? people ask? Time will tell. That's why we must pray. Pray for all, and that peace would be found and prevail. As human beings are getting hurt and killed on both sides, shalom. Salam. This is my perspective. It doesn't have to be yours. It's mine. But I own it. I've thought about it deeply. I've tried to read widely. And I hope you understand the heart from which it comes. No one wants death or suffering. But Hamas is evil. Would you stand? That's it. Thank you. That's it. Done. The outside kept you a bit longer. We're going to do that again. <laughs> Ooh, hallelujah. All right. Thank you. Put your hands out. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and your beautiful family and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom, peace in these crazy days. Can we give Jesus the clap? Of hey, the service is over. If you need prayer for anything, uh, Spencer is there to pray with and for you. Any things, feel free to come and talk to me if you uh, want or you got a question. But otherwise, the service is over. God bless. Apologize for going over time.